Wow. Beautiful, beautiful song. There is a, um, there's a phrase in, in prison settings, especially if there are prisons that, that have a death row on them, where, where capital punishment is exercised. It's the phrase maybe you've heard before, dead man walking. If there's a prisoner who has been sentenced to death, when the time of execution comes, they'll, they'll march the prisoner through the hallways, and as they do, other prisoners will exclaim, much in derision, but much as a, a cry to watch your back as well, dead man walking. It means that there's one who's on his way to execution that is about to be put to death. As I say, it's a, it's a term of... Um, of warning as well because the dead man walking, the man on his way to his execution, has nothing to lose. So you need to be careful when you're around him that he might harm you, that he might kill you on his way to his execution. This morning in our encounter in Luke chapter 5, we see a dead man walking. He's not a prisoner. At least he's not a prisoner in a Roman jail. He's not awaiting execution at the hand of government officials. He's a dead man walking as a result of a disease that's taken his body. In the next part of this chapter that we look at as well, we see a man not walking at all. A man who is paralyzed, unable to move on his own. There are two stories. There's the story of a leper and the story of a lame man, but the two stories are intricately woven together with one another in what they teach us about who Jesus is and the incredible, awesome, majestic power that Jesus has. Let's look at the stories this morning, these events in the life of Jesus. Luke chapter 5 is where we are. In Luke chapter 5, you can follow along as we read, beginning in verse 12, read for us earlier, but let's reacquaint ourselves with it. While he was in one of the cities, the he there is Jesus, while Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Behold, some men were bringing on a bed a, a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, 
Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. I think again that the Scripture is the master of understatement. We have seen amazing, miraculous, extraordinary things today. Each of the events that we have before us here in Luke's Gospel in chapter 5 is an event that contains two subparts. This is where they are intricately linked together with one another. In the first event, in verses 12 and 13, you have the miracle of Jesus healing this leper. And then from verse 17 to verse 20, you have the miracle of him healing the paralytic. Going back to verse 14 through 16, you have the significance of the healing of the man with leprosy. And then from verses 21 to 26, you have the significance of the healing of the paralytic. All of it, taking these two stories and binding them together before us so that they are not two disconnected events in the life of Jesus. But they are a way for Luke to point us to Jesus to say, look to this one and what he can do. At the heart of the entirety of this passage is the fact that at the core of Jesus' ministry is the forgiveness of sins. To realize that Jesus has the, the power and Jesus has the authority to forgive sins in the lives of men and women. That Jesus has this power, that He has this authority because He is God in the flesh. Notice with me this morning as we look and unpack these verses before us that our greatest need in life is the forgiveness of sin. You say, well, I, I, I see that in the second story of this lame man where Jesus forgives sin, but where do we find this in the story of the leper as well? Well, I want you to understand in the cultural context of the day what took place related to both of these men's lives, to the leper and to the lame as well. There were Old Testament laws that pertained to both of them. Those with, with leprosy, this, this dreaded disease that would attack the nerves of a person so that pain is not felt. And oftentimes, you would, you would understandably experience some sort of a horrible disfigurement as a result of that. Perhaps you were out in the campsite uh, somewhere and there's a fire going and, and maybe you have a, a piece of food or something within that and you reach in to grab it not realizing how hot it is and your hand is burned but you don't know it. Perhaps you're walking along the street and you twist your ankle but you don't know it's twisted because this disease has attacked your nerve endings and so you continue to walk on this sprained ankle. And terrible difficulties that would come with that. This man with leprosy was under the Old Testament regulations regarding leprosy. 
The Old Testament required that if someone had leprosy, they were to be removed from the community at large. They, they couldn't be with normal society. In fact, they were barred completely from Jerusalem, and they were barred from being a part of any other walled city that there might be uh, around the land. They, they were forbidden to come within six feet of a healthy person. And in fact, if the wind was blowing at their back in their direction, they had to maintain a distance of 150 feet from a person who was healthy. There was one religious leader, a rabbi, who actually advocated throwing stones at lepers to make them move out of your way, to make them keep their distance. And of course, we know that any time a leper would be in public in some manner, he would have to announce his presence, unclean, unclean, so that everyone would know to remove yourself from this person. Can you imagine what that would be like? Can you imagine having to enter into the church service today, which, by the way, a leper would not have been allowed to have done? They weren't allowed to step into the synagogue to worship with God's people. But can you imagine if the laws were different and today the leper was allowed to come into this place and have to announce for everyone to hear, I'm unclean. Can you imagine perhaps going to the mall on Black Friday? Might be an advantage on Black Friday, I don't know. But having to open the doors of the mall and announce for everyone to hear, unclean the looks that you would receive. Parents grabbing their children and running in the other direction. Can you imagine the stigma that went with this? It's interesting that Luke in his gospel here tells us in verse 12 that this was a man full of leprosy. A man full of leprosy. It's interesting that Luke is the only one of the gospel writers that mentions that, but it makes sense. Luke, after all, is a doctor. And so he wants to convey the entire weight of what was going on in this man's life. This is an extreme case of leprosy. Likewise, you have this lame man that we read about, this paralytic, beginning in verse 17 paralysis, didn't, didn't quite have the same social stigma as leprosy, but here he was still unable to do anything on his own, still seen as defective in some way. One of the most damaging things of this is that within both of these maladies that came, they excluded participation in gathering with God's people in worship devastating this would be. Unable to come and offer the sacrifices, the ritual cleansing as an acknowledgement of your sin and a recognition of God's forgiveness of that sin. Unable to gather together with God's people to sing. Unable to gather together to hear God's word proclaimed. Unable to fellowship with one another. Can you imagine that? Grievous thing to be away from the people of God gathered together for worship. And it was one of the most damaging things of, of these men in this situation, unable to gather together with God's people. And it, harry, it carried with it a weight upon their shoulders and upon their spirits. I can't meet together with God's people. Isn't that vastly different from our day? Isn't that so different from our day? 
We, we don't rely upon a physical malady to keep us from gathering with God's people in obedience to God's word. We've got all sorts of excuses we throw out to skip church. Looks like it might rain this morning and I'm allergic to rain. Let me stay home in case I get wet. We have all sorts of excuses that we use. What's amazing to me is that within this leper, within this lame man, the thing they desired most, the thing that they needed the most was to be with Jesus. This leper knows that he needs Jesus. He knows that only Jesus can heal him. But even when he comes to him, do you notice what he says to Jesus? Even in coming to Jesus, he doesn't directly ask Jesus, Jesus, will you heal me? No, he comes to him and he essentially says, Jesus, I know you can. I know that if you want to, you can. Jesus, do you want to? humility on his part not to come and say Jesus would you bring healing to me but to say Jesus I know you can if you want to if you will I know you can make me clean do you want to do that Jesus what incredible faith this man had look at Jesus's response in verse 13 Jesus looks at him and I would love to see this picture. I would love to see this man making his way towards Jesus, perhaps announcing his presence unclean, unclean all the way through and seeing people scatter, but not Jesus. Jesus stands right there awaiting his presence. Jesus, do you want to? Jesus, I imagine with a smile on his face, says, I want to. Be clean. And immediately we're told that the leprosy left him. But look at what Jesus did that is so astounding within this. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. You know how long it had been since this man felt the touch of another person? You know how long it had been since this man felt the compassionate hand of love, the handshake of a friend, at least as long as he's had the leprosy. Not felt the touch of another human being with the possible exception of another leper. And Jesus stretches out his hand. If we could take ourselves back to the first century and we could hear this story being told or we could read this story for ourselves, every Jewish person, when they would hear perhaps Luke telling the story or perhaps Paul sharing it in one of the churches, every good Jewish person, when they got to the point of saying, and Jesus stretched out his hand, there would have been a gasp. No, not that! Don't touch the leper. The leper is unclean. And if you touch the leper, you will become unclean as well. Don't do that. But Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. You know what's so amazing about that? Really and truly, when you get right down to it, Jesus didn't touch a leper. Jesus touched a former leper is what he did immediately he was healed. Jesus didn't become unclean. The leper became clean at the touch of Jesus Christ in his life. Everything changed in an instant, in a moment. 
We, we may not have leprosy. We may not be lame. But friends, these physical maladies point to a much deeper spiritual reality. Not just that Jesus has power and authority to touch in the realm of physical disease, but that He is able to reach down and touch into the realm of spiritual disease as well. He's able to take our sin and not become unclean by it, but make us clean through His touch, through His blood, through His work on our behalf. Purity touches impurity, and impurity becomes clean in an instant. Jesus recognizes our greatest need is the need for forgiveness. Notice, secondly, that Jesus has the power and the authority to forgive sins. This comes through so loud and clear, especially in in the second event of the paralytic man. You have this this group of Pharisees, the group of the teachers of the law. They've heard about Jesus. They've heard about His teachings. Perhaps they've heard about His healings. They've heard of the things that He's done, and they're coming to check Him out. What is this man saying? What is He teaching? So they're all gathered together in this home. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law would be the respected guests, and so they would be seated there, seated there with all of the people gathered around, large crowd of people. There comes a group of men, four of them carrying a fifth one. We know it's four because of uh, Mark's account that we read about in the Gospel of Mark. Four men coming, bringing this paralytic man on a stretcher on a pallet of some sort. They try to get through to see Jesus, but the crowd wouldn't let them. The crowd was too heavy. The crowd was too thick. So they devised a plan. We can't take him through. Let's take him down. And so they would find the stairway, all of those first century homes. They would be a flat-topped home, and they would have timbers of some sort that would alternate back and forth, running perpendicular to one another. And then there would be all sorts of stuff that would be placed upon that. And then you would put earth and mud and dirt and everything to try to control as much of the leaking as you could. It would have been an amazing sight come spring when literally your roof would start to sprout and grass would grow upon it. So these men had a serious task on their hands. Sometimes those roofs would be as thick as two or three feet. This was not a small task to cut through two or three feet of dirt, mud, timber, branches of all sorts. They let this guy down through the ceiling. Can you imagine what it would have been like Both of these events, I I just hope that there's some way that we're able to see these things when we get to heaven. I would love to see this one with all the crowd gathered there together with Jesus proclaiming the Word of God and teaching the people about who God is and what He's there to accomplish. And all of a sudden, dirt and dust begins to crumble from above you and people begin to look up what's going on. And they hear the voices of men on the roof and they see all of a sudden a shaft of light begin to break through. And then... these four men look down it's big enough let's go and they hoist this guy down right in the midst of all of it right in the middle of every bit of it Jesus we read in verse 20 when he saw their faith said man 
your sins are forgiven you. Remember, our greatest need is the forgiveness of sin. Here Jesus shows that he has the power, he has the authority to forgive sins. Man, your sins are forgiven you. And instantly these scribes, these Pharisees, these teachers began to question verse 21 saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? As we make our way through the Gospel of Luke, you're going to find out that Luke loves to have who questions asked about Jesus. You know why? Because Luke loves to tell who Jesus is. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Isn't that the question? There's the question. There's the $64,000 question. It's understandable if, if, if someone offends you, if someone wrongs you, and they come to you in repentance and confession and say, I'm sorry for what I did. I ask your forgiveness. It's understandable. It's expected of children of God to acknowledge that with, I forgive you. I don't hold this against you. But what if someone had wounded you and they come to me? And without even coming in confession, perhaps, they come to me and I say to them, I forgive you before God. Why, you'd be hot on my heels. What right do you have to forgive them for what they did to me? What right do you have to forgive them before God when they have sinned against me? And you'd be right. I have no right to do that. Only God can forgive someone before God in that way. I don't have the authority to do that. I don't have the power to do that. And yet Jesus says here, man, I forgive you. Your sins are forgiven. That is an astounding claim. It would be, in the words of the Pharisees, blasphemy if it weren't for the fact that here you have God doing the speaking. Man, your sins are forgiven you. Jesus comes along in verse 23 and he says, Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise and walk? Which would be easier for us? Neither one of them is easier, are they? We can't look at someone and say, I forgive another person's sin before God. I can't do that. I don't have that authority. I don't have that power. I can't forgive you before God. That's why Christianity is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Only you can come in faith to Jesus Christ and be forgiven. Your parents can't do that. Your grandparents can't do that. Your children can't do that. Your best friends cannot do that. Only you can come in confession and repentance of your own sin. I can't forgive another person's sins before God. Likewise, I I can't make a lame man walk. That's the whole point. Jesus is saying to them, you want to know that I'm able to forgive people's sins before God? Fine, let me show you. Get up and walk. Look at the description in verse 25. It's so beautiful. Jesus says to him, pick up your bed, go home, verse 25, and immediately, that's how Jesus heals people, immediately, he rose up before them 
picked up what he'd been lying on and went home glorifying God. This man had been held by his, his little pallet, his little bed. Now he picks up what's been holding him down and carries it beside him. Jesus is saying to the people here, I healed that man so that you will know when I say your sins are forgiven, I can do it. Who can forgive sins but God alone exactly? No one can, but God can. See, our greatest need is forgiveness of sins. Jesus has the power and the authority to forgive us our sin. And Jesus has this authority because He is God in the flesh. That's what you discover in verse 24. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That phrase, Son of Man, it's, it's the title that Jesus used for Himself more often than any other title in the New Testament. It's a title that goes back to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament book of Daniel, Daniel has this amazing vision of the awesome nature of God. God is referred to as the Ancient of Days. And in Daniel's vision, he sees the Ancient of Days giving all dominion, all power, all authority, honor, might, glory, and blessing to one as the Son of Man. This is Jesus' way of saying, that's me. The one that Daniel prophesied about, the one that Daniel told is coming, that's me. I'm here in your presence. And at this point, all of these Pharisees, all of these scribes, the teachers of the law, should have been on their faces before Jesus saying, the prophesied Redeemer has come. He is in our presence. But they didn't do that. Why didn't they do that? I mean, the leper acknowledged who Jesus is. If you will, you can make me clean. I've heard about you, Jesus. I've heard what you're able to do. I know the prophecies. If you will, you can make me clean. The man lowered through the roof of the house doesn't say a word, but Jesus looks into their hearts. And when he sees their faith, you see, both of these men, the leper and the paralytic, had what the Pharisees did not have. They had faith. Faith to see their need. And faith to see the one who can meet that need. The Pharisees didn't see their need. Unlike the leper or the lame man, they didn't see their need. And friends, I want you to understand today that every single one of us stands in desperate need of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. He, God in the flesh, is the only one who can forgive those sins. And it may be that, that within your life you think, you know what, I, I can't come to Jesus. Goodness gracious, you, you have no idea what my life is like. You have no idea what I'm guilty of. You have no idea what I have done in my life. You have no idea where I've been. 
It's an embarrassment to me privately. It's a shame to me publicly. Friends, here's a leper, an outcast, a reject, and Jesus is touching him. Here's a lame man, could never even get into the temple, and Jesus says, I forgive you. And I want you to hear me with great clarity this morning. There is no one whose sin has put them beyond the reach of Jesus if they will come to Him. But if you like the Pharisees and these religious people act like you don't need Him, there's no other hope for you. You notice that with both of these men, their approach was an absolute desperation. Nowhere else to go. Nothing to lose. They were desperate for something. They came in great humility. They came in great faith. It may be the case that today you're not saying, oh, listen, I could never come to Jesus. I've been too bad. I've been too sinful. You can't imagine what's going on in my life. It may be that you're not there. It may be that you're like these Pharisees today. You're good. You're moral. You've, you've crossed all the T's. You've dotted all the I's. But yet you've never trusted in Jesus. You see, your sin problem is just as great as the one who would say, I could never come to Jesus with what I've done. It's just as great. And your need is the same. Your need is for Jesus. Will you come in desperation before Jesus? Will you come in humility, recognizing that you don't deserve His grace and mercy? Will you come in great faith to receive Him? And like the leper to be cleansed, like the lame man to spiritually walk again in the presence of God. Where are you in this? You can make all sorts of applications to us. The most obvious one being that we are desperate in our need for Jesus. Beyond that, can we just say in a very cursory manner, please pay close attention to the friends of that paralyzed man who were willing to do whatever it took to bring their friend to Jesus. Church, will we do that? Will we do that? Remember how difficult this had to be? Oh my goodness, I can't even imagine what it was like. Traipsing this guy through the streets of the city, not being able to get him to Jesus because of the crowd that's around. Getting really creative. We're going to bust up a roof, guys. We've got to get this guy to Jesus. To dig through a roof. What's interesting is that we read here that when Jesus saw their faith, 
Oh, it wasn't that these friends had faith to save this man. No. These friends had faith to know that Jesus could save their friend. And they just wanted to get him to Jesus. Will we be as intentional? Will we be as serious in coming to snatch people from the jaws of hell and point them to Jesus and say, therein is your only hope. Father, this morning we thank you again for your word. Father, we thank you for the picture of our own condition written within the pages of your word before us, the reminder that we are desperately in need of Jesus. That our greatest need for forgiveness of sins. Father, I pray today, some here who have never received that, some who have never experienced your forgiveness and Father, I pray that today would you, would you please open their hearts that they might see the glorious risen Christ who died that their sins might be removed from them. And would you give them strength and faith to acknowledge Christ as Lord of their lives today. Father, I pray for us as your church that we would not be content with watching the lepers and the lame process before us day in and day out. But that we would seek in great compassion to grab them and point them to Jesus and say, look to Him and be saved. Father, in this moment of response, would You work in our hearts and lives for commitments that we need to make for surrender in our lives where you would have us surrender. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.